The Remembering Dad podcast is a platform for people to share stories and memories of their loved ones who have passed away. The podcast is created in memory of Dad, Bob Cecil. May he rest in peace. Your host, Mark Cecil, along with co-host Ryan Thwaites, acknowledge the rich history and importance of storytelling within Indigenous culture. My name is Georgie Skeen, and I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land in which we meet here today. Today we're meeting in Mianjin, and those traditional owners are the Yagaran Turrbal people. And I'd also like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging, and acknowledge my people, the Gabi Gabi people, and extend that acknowledgement to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening in today. Hello, Ryan, and welcome back to the podcast. Hello, Mark. Welcome also back to the podcast. Thank you, mate. Question: Get to know Ryan and Mark. Here we go. Hit me. Hit me. Hey, do you have a favourite quote? I have. I have several favourite quotes, uh, but I think one that I seem to gravitate towards a lot, and it's probably because it's nice and simple and easy to remember, is by Mike Tyson, and it's uh, "Everybody has a plan till they get punched in the face." And I love the simplicity of that quote. I love that it's by Mike Tyson. Uh, and I love the the metaphorical sort of uh, meaning behind it and, and everything. I think it's great. Can you do it in a Mike Tyson voice? Everybody has a, has a plan to get punched in the face. Something like that. And she said you do this immediately. I love it, mate. Well done. Mate, what's, uh, what's yours? Do you have one? I do. It's not by by someone famous. Uh, it's actually is it by from, me? No, by me. not that low on the rung. But <laughs> <laughs> we, it's actually from my lula, so my my grandmother. So mm-hmm. in the Philippines, we call them lula for grandmother and lolo for grandfather. And she basically, it wasn't a quote per se. It was more of a, a teaching and a learning. She always just said to you know, work hard, stay humble and just be a genuine person. I try and do that in everything that I do, whether that be with people that I interact with or in even with, with business, with work, with clients that I deal with. Was it was work hard, stay humble? What was the other one? Be gen- and be a genuine person. Be a genuine person. That's pretty sound advice. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty straightforward. It's nothing out of this world, but it, it is something that uh, I think if you, or for me anyway, if I stick by it and live by it, they're, they're good things to live by. Seems like a lot of people struggle to live by all three of those things. It wouldn't seem that difficult, but it is to be. I think that's the beauty. It is pretty simple. And if you do those three things, I'm sure there are other things that you should do as well mm. to be a good person. But if you do those three things, you, I think you'd be a long way there. What about if you if you didn't take your shopping cart back? Would you qualify? Definitely not. That would be... <laughs> what would that be against? You're I, out. I guess... Let's face it, it's not hard work to return your shopping trolley. So <laughs> come on, just be a good person and take those few extra steps. Anyway, Agreed. back to the pet Agreed. peeves. Okay. Bit of, a, <laughs> bit of a throwback if you've listened yeah. to the last episode. Anyway, mate, on to the guessing game for you to try to work out where we're headed oh, today my, with our guest. My favorite part of the day. This is my favorite part without it. Right. I mean, other, up, yeah. apart from talking to the guests, of course. Okay. So, mate, the first clue that I have for you is mm-hmm. at 3,127 square kilometers, this region is equal to California's Yosemite National Park. 
However, only about 40% of the natives remain in this area. Okay. Pass. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Deliberately very difficult, my first clue. Oh, second yeah. one. The world's second largest rock is found here. The largest rock is, of course, Uluru or Ayers Rock and lies in the southern part, or Ayers Rock lies in the southern part of the Northern Territory. Where do you think the second largest rock is in the world? Yeah, no, I've got no idea. Pass. You're going to be very annoyed when this is revealed. Okay. Okay. Third clue. So this place is home. I've only got four clues for you this week. So this place is home to the most photographed pub in the whole of Australia. I'm not going to tell you where the pub is, but its name means place of good drinking in native Aboriginal. Is it the Sunshine Coast? Got it. Well done, mate. So <laughs> is, the Ed- the- is it the Ed- Edamunga pub or how do you, how do you say it? Edamunga pub. Yeah. Edamunga, yeah. I mean, I drive past it all the time when I drive to my parents' place, I see it. But so what is this? What is the second biggest rock? Mount Coulomb. Mount Coulomb is a rock? Yeah. No way. Didn't know that. And the last clue I had for you, which you may or may not have got after this. So the Sunshine Coast is known as Australia's own health mecca. The coast has the most yoga, meditation, organic stores, and juice <laughs> cleanse bars than any other region in the country per capita. It's not confirmed, but most locals believe it to be true. Oh, it's really Byron Bay gives it a solid shake or Bondi some or famous something. People, some famous people from the Sunshine Coast include, obviously, the Irwin family, Diane Salento, who starred in a film with Tom Jones in the 60s, and surprise, surprise, a couple of pro surfers, Julian Wilson and Keely Andrew. Amazing. So, Good mate, clues. very local, very local, just up the highway for you and for me previously when I was in, yep. in Brisbane. So, That's our it. guest today is a development mindset coach and loves coaching and growing. She lives with her f- two fur babies, Minnie and Louie, in an amazing house on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, Australia. She volunteers at an animal sanctuary for farm animals and she loves spending time in nature, whether that be bushwalking or at the beach or at home. Her interests include plant medicine, breath work, and connecting with like-minded people. Our guest today is Helen Pope. So officially, welcome to the Remembering Dad podcast, Helen. Thanks for having me. All the way from the beautiful Sunshine Coast, just up the road for, for Ryan and me previously when I was living in Brisbane. So we could have tried to work this out in person, but here we are virtually on Zoom. Yeah, well, it's a beautiful warm day here today, so you could have done it by my pool and jumped in. <laughs> It's disgustingly hot. Like today, it's so humid yeah. where I am. <laughs> I keep turning my aircon on and off because it gets really cold in this room, but then I'm like, oh, <laughs> it heats up really fast. Yeah, the options outside aren't great. It's pretty bad. <laughs> Helen, what's the best thing that you like about the Sunshine Coast? And maybe if people, I mean, a lot of people in, I'm sure, Brisbane and the Gold Coast and the South or even all over Queensland have visited the Sunshine Coast. But for those that may be visiting the country, why should they come to the Sunshine Coast? I love the Sunshine Coast basically because where I'm at, I'm in the middle between the mountains and the bushwalks and the beaches. I mean, it's getting a lot more popular, but it's not as populated as the Gold Coast. Um, There seems to be a little bit more of a still that spiritually kind of vibe a little bit in the mountains. But for me, I'd lived in Tassie for I say 12 winters. And so I was ready for a change in the warmth and making new connections. And so I've been up here since the end of 2020. Beautiful coastline, um, beautiful beaches. The mountains are spectacular as well. It's 
pretty close to Brisbane, so I'm only about an hour away. Noose is further, but um, yeah, lots of things to do and activities to to explore as well. So I absolutely love it. I mean, I love Tasmania as well, and I'm from Brisbane originally, growing up, so a little bit familiar with the area. I feel like the Sunshine Coast is where people in Brisbane want to live. That yeah. when they when they have a sea change, like I've got friends that have just gone out. Fuck Brisbane. We got the Sunshine Coast and never regret it at all. They just love it. Yeah, when I was looking to leave Tassie, I was like, I'm right, I'm done with Tassie. I was like, where am I going to go? And I'm like, I'm not moving back to Brisbane. And then, yeah, yeah so the Sunshine Coast became an option and that's how I, ended, I found a house when I came up here for a visit and then it was like, yep, that's me. I'm meant to be here and have a look back. So, Helen, who are we talking about today? Um, we're going to be talking about my mum, my lovely mum, departed mum, who's passed away in November 2018. So she raised me on her own as a single mum, aged 45 when she had me um, back in the 80s, which was quite an uncommon wow, yeah. That's really, thing to do. That's old for back then, I guess, right? Oh, yeah. So apparently yeah. she worked at um, what's now called QUT, but was called QIT in the library. And apparently when she walked in and announced her pregnancy, half the half the tea room cheered um, and the other half's mouths just dropped to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> he's like single and 45 like that, that's just not possible <laughs> yeah my mum was 30 when she had me and I think even back then that was like quite old for, yes yeah. yeah I had a I had a friend who I think her mum was 35 or something like that when mm. so that was like considered old but yeah it mm. was it was difficult in, in some ways because mum refused to also dye her hair and so mm. it was 95% of the time people just assumed that she was my grandmother. And I remember begging her one time, like, can you just dye your hair? I'm sick of <laughs> and she's like, nope, it's chemical. It's going <laughs> to, <Yeah. laughs> which in those days definitely was yeah, dangerous to, point, to do yeah. that. Yeah. Yes. Good on her. That's awesome. So what happened to your mum leading up to her passing away in 2018? Um, so mum was um, always very fiercely independent. But she told me probably in 2000 and I want to say 12 or 13 that she was diagnosed with Parkinson's. I think she left it for as long as she could because she um, stayed in Brisbane and she always lived in Brisbane in the family home and I moved to Launceston and Tassie and I probably ignored it as an issue for a long time, just a bit of denial of like it's okay and um yeah, so she ended up having to stop coming down because she just couldn't travel and she was very, mum was always very private, so she hid a lot of her stuff from me even though I I was probably the person she opened up to the most and it was really hard to get information from her. I kept trying to say, look, if you want to be independent, you need to tell me what's going on so I can get the services in to help you. And so she slowly declined at one point, I was ringing her constantly to try and make sure she was taking her medication because she was in a home and wanted to stay in the home. I was, I spent um, a number of years just using all my holidays to come up and take her to appointments in different various ways. And watching her decline was really difficult because she was this amazing, independently force of nature that um, was so strong-willed and then just watching her decline into to something and, and, and her still resisting it and all <laughs> till the very end. And in 2016, she ended up having a fall and I had someone who was going regularly to check on her each day, which I'm very grateful for. He rang me and said, it was the day before I was flying up and said, look, she's had a fall, she's 
yeah, she's she's not okay. And so I took her into the hospital. And um, so then I managed miraculously um, to get her into the nursing home of her choice, which she didn't want, which was understandable now after the commission, but she was in a fairly good nursing home. And basically she developed Parkinson's dementia, which, yeah, so she wasn't being able to tell stuff. And I remember one time being on the phone ringing her saying, it's time for your medication, don't have your medication and come back to the phone. And she just never came back to the phone. So I have no idea whether she took her medication or what she did. But yeah, and I remember the first time visiting her in the nursing home and she thought I was her sister and she just held on to me and clung on to me. And I that was that was probably one of the hardest days for me, um, just realizing that she she might not even remember me. And then the next day I went in and I said, Do you remember who I am? And she's like, Of course, Helen, I wish you'd stop fucking asking me that question without swearing. <laughs> but uh, she's like, I wish you'd stop asking me that question. I'm like, all right, Julie noted. So yeah, and then she just slowly declined as Parkinson's does. It just you know, some days have good days, bad days. And again, I probably was in a little bit of denial. I didn't like seeing her in that space. She was 82 by that stage. So yeah, she wasn't the mum I wanted to remember or the person I wanted to remember. And then she finally passed away in November 20, uh, 2018, but I didn't hold a funeral for her. I waited till June on her birthday the following year to hold a um, celebration of her life, which was really nice. Plus I wanted to give the eulogy in that space but yeah one of the downsides of having an older parent is you don't get as many adult years with them so when you start to build that real friendship element to a parental child role I feel like I just didn't get to have as much as I would have liked and have been able to have the conversations that I could have now even with the developmental work that I've done on myself and personal development works. Yeah I can I can certainly appreciate that dad passed away when he was uh, 89 and my brother who's 10 years or youngest brother who's 10 years younger than me could definitely sympathize with yourself. I guess I, I felt that at my age, not having that much time, I guess, as an adult, having that relationship with him and, and certainly with my brother 10 years younger than me would have felt that even more so. So I can definitely appreciate how you, how you felt there. Yeah, it, it's, it's definitely tough and, and being an only child, essentially being an only child, made it a lot more tricky. I mean, my my father, who wasn't really in my life, but he passed away when I was 19. So there was the effects of not being able to resolve any of the conflict or issues that I had internally with him as I grew up. Um, and then for my mum to pass away, even though I was sort of in my later 30s, it's been quite an interesting journey to to really uncover being on my own and being, I don't have a partner or children either apart from a couple of fur for babies but yeah just just being in that space of not having that family nucleus anymore in in any shape and just the experience of of that and what comes up for me in in that space so it's not been easy at times but it's definitely been a big growth spurt to to become more in myself and more independent which I've I've definitely pulled from my mother as this I, I used to say she was a feminist a feminine feminist in the sense that she wouldn't burn a bra because bras are actually useful um, in that sense. So um, dearly pulling into that that aspect of that individualist and independent woman element that you can do what you want to do no matter what. Did you want to touch on that almost not having that relationship with your dad and him passing away when you were quite young as well? And then did that have an effect on the relationship with your mum 
following his passing? It probably not so much affected the relationship with mum. I was probably just starting to become an, an the adult. We were starting to have that relationship. So my dad had an affair with my mum and that's how I was created. But I, I was raised by my mum and I did know him. I found out when I was very young. So I developed quite a lot of belief structures around he was the one that had tricked her and, you know, he how could he do this to such an amazing person? But then as I grew older and was able to have conversations with mum, my viewpoint shifted. So when he passed away, I was still quite angry at him um, and he never actually publicly acknowledged me um, as one of his daughters. Um, so I was still very angry with him. And then having conversations later in life with mum about it, it was really highlighted that she made that choice. She made a decision that she would have me and that I would be hers. Um, and it almost it did almost change my my structure in that thinking, well, she almost picked him as a bit of a sperm donor in some ways. Might not necessarily been that way. Like for me, no learning to understand that she had a previous love of her life who passed away. And so for for her, my father wasn't that person, wasn't that love, but more of a, a comfort person. And I think she did make the choice to have me in a bit of a way to fill that void and that hole of, of being on her own. Her parents had died. Her sister was in England. She had ne- a couple of nieces and nephews scattered around the country. But, yeah, so to have that and which then led in some ways for her, she absolutely idolised me and in I was this perfect little thing and anything that indicated that I wasn't was sort of shugged and pushed under the, the carpet, which um, wasn't as helpful in the elements of the fact that I developed a lot of depression and and which led to alcohol and substance abuse at times. But she chose to kind of ignore that and so that she could believe that I was this amazing person, which, yeah, which wasn't as true. But I'm kind of pleased that she believed that <laughs> in, in a lot of ways, yeah. So the role thing was very interesting and, and it definitely the scenario affected it has, has affected my relationships with men because I never got to really talk throughout or have that male role model in my life. But in saying that I had some incredibly amazing upbringing with this strong independent single female who was surrounded by a lot of other um, independent strong females. So um, I was very blessed to be in, in that scenario. And having a bit of an older mum, I was blessed that I wasn't granted things like computers or a lot of the modern things, I was taken to the theatre and went to the ballet and got to experience cultural things that a lot of people my age didn't get to experience or explore. And I mean, at the time I was very, I felt, made me feel very singular and outsider and and I I didn't get to be like a normal kid. But at the same time now, I'm very blessed because I I have had those experiences, which were quite different. Helen, this question normally comes towards the end of the podcast. So I'm certainly not wrapping you up and we will get to this question for your mum. But with your dad, knowing that I guess what came to light after conversations with your mum, if your dad, and and I don't, from what you're saying, I don't think you had this opportunity to say that to him when he was alive, but knowing what you know now, if your dad was in front of you today, what would you say to him? I think I would attempt with the work I've done, I would attempt to have a conversation with him about the impact of not acknowledging me um, and not being around as much had on me and really try to work on understanding his point of view of why where he was really coming from in thinking that that was the best way to to be and deal with and I mean my mum did say that 
at one point we we just thought that this was the best thing for you and for everybody involved that um you were these things didn't happen and we didn't realize the impact because both of them being like my dad was seven years older than mum so 51 when he had me um and he had three other daughters and, and was stayed with his wife until the the end so it was very old school philosophy of just keep everything quiet so really yeah for me having that conversation with him about the impact and and really starting to understand how he how his love for me which I, I doubt that he had how that played out and then his own trauma and what happened in his life to to come to the scenario that he ended up just just learning more about him really I didn't really get that opportunity to find out about him as a person as an individual rather than the construction belief of a young young girl creates the remembering dad podcast is supported by my legacy message how would you like to be remembered my legacy message provides a service that delivers an unexpected keepsake video to loved ones after your passing my legacy message be remembered what lessons did you learn from your mum Oh, um, I learned how to host an awesome party. Um, <laughs> we would we would have um, do five course five course Christmas dinners, all with good china and and everything. Superficially, she also taught me about fashion and about how to really be in one's own self and learn about quality and cost and just. Um, she taught me about cultural stuff. She taught me about equality to a degree and about just being accepting everybody as they are in that face value without necessarily having to engage or be around them and and socialize but really learning about people and cultures and um, just accepting them for who they are so she did give me quite a broad range and I think just given the circumstances it really helped me learn to be compassionate for the person who's on the outside, who's in a different scenario, in a unique position, and really drives me to learn about them and understand them as individuals, so that I can I can connect on a deeper level with them. Yeah, and she she did show me that I could just be whoever I wanted to be, um, which she reminded. But as a teenager, I was like, just tell me who to be. She yeah gave me that opportunity to be like, you know, this is you are able to be who you want to be, and don't be afraid of that. And the more now that I've, I've done the work on myself, the more I can see how she was, that was what she was aiming to show me and teach me um, that I wasn't prepared. And she had a love for nature and gardening, but in a very unique way of just like, let it all grow, don't cut it back and do all those sorts of things. And I've started to get a little bit more into greenery and gardening a little bit, but not to the extent that she was. And love of animals as well and nature. Do you see a lot of your mum in a lot of what you do day to day or how you think or how you function now that you're a little bit older as well? Definitely. I can, especially when I'm um, looking after my friend's kids, younger kids, I start, I've seen the way that she would attempt to control or have that more um, older style of, you know, this is how you need to behave. And sometimes that starts to come out in me and I, I catch myself and I'm like, no, it's okay. They're allowed to do those sorts of things. I was very much raised in more of that um, seen and not heard element to a, to a degree. And so, and, and how do you, I remember her saying to me, 
you know, when you were three years old, you were eating off Royal Dalton China. So in her eyes, every child should have been able to do that. And so sometimes they have a little bit too higher expectations of young children being able to do that. And I'll hand out bowls on China and cups and their <laughs> parents just start freaking out. Going, no, no, have you got plastic? And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, they'll be right. They'll be right yeah. if they break it. They break it. <laughs> They wouldn't be right with my two-and-a-half-year-old. It'd be across <laughs> the room in no time and broken in a lot of pieces, I'm sure. Yeah. So, yes, I, yeah, I do. I do see a lot of myself. I see a lot of her in my love for style and dressing um, to express myself, definitely, and now more and more enjoying my own solitude, which I, I didn't used to do. Yeah, that definitely comes with age. <laughs> yeah, one. I think so. And. And I mean, I did I did a lot of work around that when I was in my 30s because I, I always had a drive to have a family because I didn't have that. And then in my 30s when I started being single, I ended up kind of doing a lot of work around being okay, being on my own and, and having my own space. So um, I really definitely enjoy that that more now yeah. and now. So, But also I see a lot of myself in the sense that I've, I've worked in the opposite direction. So whereas she was really private and didn't talk about her life like even her friends said you just didn't ask her questions you were honored if she opened up to you which was very rare so for me I went the opposite I, I have a tendency sometimes to overshare and be like yeah you can know everything about me I'm an open <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I should take that lesson from her a little bit more and learn to curve back but, but I am who I am feel free to overshare right now do you have a favorite story or memory of your mum I really like this too. I love mum's really dry or her humour. It was quite intellectual and she always she used to use the and I'm not gonna think the word, but the double the double meaning jokes. And so when I was younger, probably about 19, 20, my the dog that well, her dog really, not my dog, um, would come in, would try and get into the car and was trying one day to get in the car with one of my male friends. And he he was said, Oh, you know, you and me, Emma, let's go. And my mum just turned around really quietly in a really refined voice. Oh, so that's why she's been so tired lately. And mm. just just little jokes <laughs> like that. And then just coming out talking to my friend like my girlfriend because she had a septic tank you know just coming the first time she meets her just going like now you know if you've got your periods just don't put anything down and my girlfriend like because she my mum was quite small and quite elderly so and she just commanded this sense of respect and her parents were English so she had this very refined very quiet voice and so she would talk in these sorts of manners but then create these little conversations about things that you wouldn't expect old, older people and and it just through like so throwing younger people and and I just loved it when she she was able to do that and she had lots of stories about living in Papua New Guinea as well so I love the story two stories one is Papua New Guinea where they the bell, um, Australian ballet went up and performed but there was no stage so they were performing on the football field and of course all of the um, Papua New Guineans had never seen men in tight tights and women in tutus and so they came down to the football field and and apparently were just absolutely pissing themselves laughing at these people prancing around on their their football field and um, what else and then mum talking about she was very prim and proper she never smoked a cigarette in her life she apparently apparently she didn't um apparently didn't drink much although i've started to hear some other little stories that she might have been telling me but she went to south america on a tour before just before i was born and 
back in those days, they'd give you cocaine drink to help with your altitude sickness. And uh, she didn't know what it was. And so she drank this cocaine mixture. And instead of getting high or lovely, it actually made her feel sick, so sick. She was throwing up and being vomiting. And it was her birthday. And apparently on their birthday, they insisted on celebrating. So she was dragged out of her room, sick as a dog from having cocaine and forced to celebrate her birthday, feeling sick as a a dog. So, yeah, just little stories, little stories like that, um, I think. Yeah, just just things, yeah. Do you have any advice for someone that has a parent that is going through their Parkinson's journey and regressing in health and then also the second part of the question is for someone in a similar position to yourself following her passing away it may be somewhat of a unique position sometimes you know people have a partner or or kids to help them work through that grief but for people as independent like yourself how did you work through that grief okay so with the first question which was oh, as as they're getting Parkinson's I think the biggest thing is and I know people were telling me this but is to really embrace them while they're cognitive and embrace them as they were learn as much as you can from them engage with them as much as you can and even when they're declining is engage with them because you don't always know how much they're able to communicate Um, because Parkinson's can affect people in different ways and it affected my mum with her speech so it was really difficult to understand her because she she spoke softly naturally but she came really like this she (laughs) um, with the Parkinson's it was really hard to hear her so it was really hard to understand how much from a cognitive perspective she was actually still processing of conversations and how much she couldn't actually deliver um, a response out. So it's really important to engage with people um, in that space and to try, I mean, I, I try as many different options as available as well in order to slow down the progression of, of the Parkinson's because it is something that's slow and it, and it isn't pleasant to watch someone decline in that way, but just continuously engage with them. On the second note of of having a parent and being on your own um, and dealing with it and dealing with the process, um, it can be quite a large process with um, power of attorney, especially if they don't have that in sitting place or there's other people involved. It can be quite stressful. I worked in state government, so I was able to navigate it. But even for me, I was like, this is a lot of red tape. So just being patient with the system and just knowing that, you know, you can get through it and, and making sure you do self-care is huge. You must must do self-care. I didn't do, I thought I was okay. And because I pushed along without developing a support network of professionals and, and I mean, I had friends, but really build a support network up. I ended up having a mental crash um, when she was in the nursing home um, because I just couldn't deal with multiple other elements of, of things that were going on. And I was hiding my emotions because I was doing the it'll be right it'll be right it'll be right until it wasn't okay so really ensure even if you feel okay build a support network whether that's psychologists whether that's um, coaching whether that's energy workers whether it's what whether it's going um, meeting a men's shed or if you're a man or whatever it is just build a really strong network of people and and not just one avenue but have multiple avenues um, in that space for me once she passed what happened I had just split from 
somebody, a, a friend who I tried to have another relationship with and it just didn't work out. And it really took me being back in my home and going home. So I, I went back to work really early, which was a mistake as well. Um, I thought by going back to normality, it would help me be able to heal and, and process through, which in some ways it did, but it wasn't. So she died in November, but it wasn't till Christmas, which was one of her favourite times, that I ended up just spending the whole two weeks crying and letting it all out and allowing yourself, I think it's really important to allow yourself that time to grieve and be okay with being a mess. And whether that means, if you need to be on your own to do that, then be on your own to do that, allowing that you have the support networks um, there to connect in with. But however you need to deal with it, be okay with doing that um you know whether it could be walking in nature and screaming at birds or yeah for me it was literally just staying at home and just crying and crying and crying with the dogs there for hugs and that really allowed me to process it I think when you're dealing with an illness like Parkinson's it takes a number of years it is really um you kind of go through a bit of a mourning process throughout the years because you know there's going to be an end time. You just don't know when that's going to be. And so there's the there's the grieving stages as they're declining. So there's, there's the, the grieving of knowing you're going to lose them, but then there's also the grieving of each stage as they, de- as they deteriorate that little bit more. So it, it's almost like the, for me and my experience, it was this grieving process over a number of years that came out. Um, so when she did pass, I, I had the moment over the Christmas, but then I I think because I'd done so much grieving, I was able to move past that real grief stage fairly easily, but also acknowledging that it, it still comes up from time to time. You you just miss somebody because they're a part of your life and they they had an influence over you and you're missing the relationship with them. You're not necessarily missing them. You're missing that relationship that you had with them. I mean, that applies to anybody, um, whether they're alive or, or deceased. So just accepting that however you need to grieve and however long that process is, is what you need to do and how you need to do it and just accepting that there is a way through it and doing things that will help you do that as well so if sitting at home is just making it worse then arrange force yourself to go out and connect up with people it was a little bit tricky in some ways for me because most of my friends haven't lost parents or hadn't lost parents by that stage so I didn't have people who really understood what I was going through which made it a little bit trickier but now I I look at it as I've been able to be there for friends who have now lost parents yeah do what you need to do and that was a very long-winded answer it's okay it's a very long-winded question so <laughs> we like detail it's fine <laughs> last question for you if your mum was, uh, and I know you answered this before with your dad, so you know what's coming. If your mum was in front of you today, what would you like to say? What would you say to her? Again, I'd like to talk to her about, as a developmental coach and the work that I've done with her in integral theory and spirituality, I would really like to have more in-depth conversations with her about that because of her intelligence. I'd love to hear her viewpoints on that. I'd love to explore her way of thinking and her mindset as well as talking about my mindset and, and really having that, that would be the biggest thing for me is having those beautiful intellectual conversations that we would, we had begun to have. And now the more work I've done on myself, the more I would I, I could have more interesting, deeper conversations with her as well um, around that. So that's probably what I'd really love 
to experience with her again is is just that that with the conversation because I love a good conversation and I know she did too <laughs> that's what I got from her conversation <laughs> so. it might have to be over hours and pots and pots of tea and coffee etc sounds like it yes we'd be yeah it'd be lots of tea lots of probably lots of cooking as well but it, I'd love to stretch her because she was so private but I'd love to stretch her in the sense of of opening her up to really deeply understand her at her core as well and what was driving her because nowadays it's really just an assumption on, on what was driving her based on what I know of her and my perceptions of her that generation is so closed off too though like my parents are sort of the same you know like I found out I go into it but things you know about my my mum and her like her her parents that kind of shocked me a little bit and was like man that wouldn't fly these days but she just has never mentioned it never it's never been a thing things were just different back then totally like my mum was very much like you pick yourself up and you move forward. You don't don't look at anything else. And I think that was her coping mechanism for losing the love of her life um, as yeah. well. And her parents were older when they had her. She was the youngest out of the children. And I think her mum might have even been 36 back in 1936 or somewhere around that age. So that was really old back in <laughs> the turn yeah. of the century. So she she had a lot of she was also raised sort of a bit in an older generational style to what probably her peers were and then then to wait until to me and yeah so it was very much that you just don't talk about it I mean my grandfather was in World War One he was at Gallipoli and so it was very much the you, you keep things quiet you don't talk mm. about those those elements of, of stuff because PTSD that was that was how you yeah. handled it back in those days <laughs> yeah no, I had a great uncle who was the same. He used to look after me and my brother a lot on school holidays. And he was it. We knew he went to the war, but he just would never talk about it. Mm. And uh, I think he just didn't want to talk about it. And it was just bottling it up. And it's funny how, like, it's almost, I wonder if the pendulum one day will swing, like, people just bottled things up and never spoke. And it kind of feels like we're really he- heading this way where we have to talk about everything. But I wonder if there'll be a, a, a time in another couple of generations where it's like, no, no you've got to bottle it up again and it swings back to this. That's a really interesting concept. I don't think it it would go back to the sense of you don't talk about it at all. It may go to the sense of we don't talk about these sorts of things in open forum podcasts and and social media. It's like you you have your your support therapy group and that's where you talk about it and don't open up in it. Or you you start doing um, psychedelic plant medicine really early on and and deal with all your stuff so you have nothing to talk about. I was going to say I hope it doesn't swing back the other way because we might struggle to get some guests on the podcast to talk about their journeys. (laughs) (laughs) We'll find out in 50 years. Yeah. Well, Helen, we want to be respectful of your time and we really appreciate you coming onto the podcast today and sharing stories of your mum and briefly the uh, the impact of, of your dad as well and him passing away at, at a young age. So uh, thank you on behalf of Ryan and myself and the Remembering Dad podcast. Thank you for joining us and, and sharing the, the story. Thanks, Helen. Thank you very much for having me on here. I, I really appreciate um, you making the time for me. So, Ryan, that was Helen from the Sunshine Coast and her story about her mum and her dad, uh, a little bit of an ad in there, but predominantly her mum, the story with her mum. Yeah, it was so good talking to Helen. It's also very nice to talk to another Australian with all the international flavour we've had lately. Yeah. Get the Aussie yeah, puns, well, she, get the yeah. Aussie, Aussie horrible sense of humour. I, I certainly got a sense of independence 
which her mum obviously was, but I think that's quite obviously come through and uh, Helen has taken that on board with how she yeah. lives her life today. Yeah, Helen's really, uh, we sort of touched on in the interview, gone a different path to her mum in terms of how, how she's sort of evolved as a person too, which is interesting. And I was really interested in her response to the, how you know, what would you say to her question in that, yeah, she would actually like to ask her a lot of questions based on, you know, the person that she's become today knowing her mum and she'd like to sort of drill down into that a little bit more that was pretty interesting we haven't had anything like that either in terms of no, that's a, we seem to be getting a lot of different different answers to that question which is good i thought we'd just get the stock standard yeah i miss you i love you but we're getting some different some variation there which is really interesting yeah i think it shows the different relationships that that people have and yeah the the intellectual conversation that she would have with her mum was a very interesting uh, response not something that i For sure really expected yeah 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 no that's but it's very true too uh and i guess it's also a product of having a you know maybe an older parent as well but by the way mark do you know that uh you can actually support the podcast it's really easy and all you have to do is give us a review and ideally a five-star review would be outstanding but if you just go to wherever you get your podcast leave a review for the remembering dad podcast rdp as we like to call it and five stars would you say five stars Definitely five stars. It doesn't even have to be, if you're on Apple and you're actually writing a, a review, it doesn't even have to be an intellectual review. It can just be a stock standard. I love you. Well, these guys RD, Ryan, Ryan and Mark, yeah. RD, RDP forever, BFF. Yeah. Ryan's right. It would really help the podcast and sharing it out there to people that may be searching for something that uh, may help them, whatever they're going through at the moment. So we would really appreciate uh, any shares and, and uh, ratings and reviews. But, mate, thank you for joining us. Appreciate yeah, you. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you, mate. Have an awesome day. You too. See you Until in the next, next one. one. Yeah, next one. See you, mate. See, See you, mate. mate. Bye. See, See you, mate. If you would like to discuss your mental well-being, several free resources are available in Australia. Information about these services will be in the podcast notes as well as the podcast Instagram page at Remembering Dad Podcast. Please take the time to contact a family member or friend today and tell them how much you appreciate and love them.